is Anya, and you're listening to The Rescue Radio, the show that brings you closer to the outdoors. Hi friends, fire season is upon us. In this episode, we'll be talking about wildfires and climbing. This episode, we'll be switching things up a little bit. I invited Amy Graham, my fellow rescuer from Portland Mountain Rescue. Hi, Amy. Hi, everyone. Amy, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Of course. Like Anya said, my name is Amy Graham. I've been with Portland Mountain Rescue now for three years. I'm currently on the board of directors as well, and I serve as the treasurer. Thank you for your service, Amy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's dive right in. I know. Today is going to be a little exciting because I get to interview Anya today. So instead of her interviewing everyone, uh, she's going to be in the hot seat. I don't know why I agreed to that. <laughs> it's going to be really exciting. So as Anya mentioned, we're going to talk about wildfires. And one thing in particular we wanted to talk about was a certain climbing adventure Anya went on where she encountered a wildfire. So Anya, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the climb you were on, where you were at, and uh, just a little bit of the overview? Sure. Uh, we were climbing North Sister, which is um, in a Three Sisters wilderness area in central Oregon. It's a beautiful mountain. It's fairly technical. And I think what makes it more technical is because it's so crumbly. There is technically no handholds. Uh, you can take handholds with you. And we always joke that if you if you take one handhold with you, the whole mountain may just crumble into pieces. There's also a section of the mountain called the bowling alley. Is that correct? Yes, there's a bowling alley as well as terrible traverse. And uh, it stands up to its name. <laughs> That's... Not some place I like to hang out in for very long. <laughs> no. Uh, what time of year was this climb occurring? It was in September. Um, it was actually September 9th, 2012. Okay, so similar time to where we are today. Yes. What were the conditions like for this week and what was in the forecast? Um, the conditions were great. Since it was late in the summer, there was no snow. Um, so it was all just rock. And beautiful weather, sunny, uh, not too hot, not too cold. It was just literally perfect conditions. And were you in a big group? It was seven of us. Uh, and you were all uh, prepared in terms of having the technical skills? Yes. So our leader was great at, at getting everyone together and making sure that we all have the right skills to, to climb the mountain. It's It's a little bit more technical, so you wouldn't take somebody who doesn't have much experience. Um, it's just not very safe. And then how did you route find or, or get where you needed to be on the mountain? Did you have map and compass? Did you use a GPS? So we did have map and compass and GPS, but our leader, he he climbed it so many times that he has a map in his head. So we kind of followed him. I don't want to say blindly, but we kind of did. He He knows the mountain like a back of his hand. He's pretty amazing human being. So um, I felt pretty safe climbing with him because I knew that he knew where we had to go. And um, North Sister, there's some route finding. And if you don't know the mountain, you can easily uh, cliff out and find yourself in a in a bad spot. I know there's a few different ways to approach North Sister. Uh, what was uh, the trailhead you started at? We started at Pole Creek. 
Um, so it um, it took us to um, between Middle Sister and North Sister. And then we took, um, I believe it was Hayden Glacier that we went up. And can you walk us through your summit day? Um, so it was seven of us and we we got to our campsite, which is, uh, I believe, five miles from, from the Pole Creek Trailhead. Um, and it's a beautiful campsite with running water and beautiful views of... Um, middle sister and north sister um we stayed overnight and we um we got up a little bit earlier but we left at 5 a.m and um we quickly scrambled up um the mountain we um we had a little bit of excitement because when we got to the terrible traverse and our leader set a fixed line one of the guys uh was crossing it um there was a rockfall and from where i was standing it it looked like it was going to hit our friend but it was a couple feet away from him and it was it actually nipped our rope we had to uh tie it off (laughs) wow that's quite yeah a start to your climb yeah but um everybody made it safely through and then we we got to the bowling alley and um, so the rock fall was before the bowling alley yes <laughs> so you experienced being the pin prior to actually going through the bowling alley yes and then we pushed on <laughs> <laughs> you are all very brave <laughs> i i don't know about brave maybe stupid but <laughs> It was such a beautiful day that and everything else was going so well. The team was strong. We were moving fast. And I believe that we got to the summit around 11.30 a.m. Okay. And as we were approaching the summit, we could see smoke, but it was really tiny smoke from one spot. And we didn't realize it was at the Pole Creek at the time, but we kind of paid attention to it. It didn't look that dangerous. And, and we just kept climbing. So you saw the smoke off in the distance mm-hmm. and it looked somewhat in the vicinity of the trailhead. Yeah. Um, but you had no way of knowing yeah. what it really was. Exactly. And we did not have self-service, so we couldn't even call it in. We kind of watched it but it really didn't look like anything. It was just one tiny spot where you could see the smoke. So say you had cell service. Uh, in this situation, would you typically call it in? And if you were, who would you call? We would. Um, I mean, the best place, I think, would be to call 911 and tell them direction um, of the of the fire. And, and even if somebody else calls it in, it doesn't hurt to, to call it in because uh, people might not be aware of it. And do you typically... Uh, call the non-emergent line? Or in this case, would you consider this an emergency? I would call it emergency because fire can spread really, really quickly. At that time, I didn't know that. But mm-hmm. I later found out that fire can go up to 50 miles per hour and it can jump up to five miles, I think. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, so you're on the summit. You're celebrating that you've made it to the top of North Sister. And now you're heading back towards camp. Yeah. So we, we're slowly making our way down. Things are doing, going great. And then we start seeing aircraft. The aircraft is dropping this like orange fire retardant. By the time we saw the aircraft, we were low enough that we couldn't see far. So we weren't sure how 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 fast or how bad the fire was. Mm-hmm. But so we got to our campsite, I think it was like at 4.30 p.m. We were going to summit and then uh, get back to our campsite get our stuff together and then hike out. It was only five miles, so it wouldn't take that long. Yeah, it took us about 45 minutes to to take down the camp. And and everybody's excited because, you know, it was a great climbing day. And as we're walking, we saw a herd of deer running the opposite direction. Of the like, way you're going. Yes. And we're like, 
oh, that can't be good. And as we're getting closer and closer, we see a huge cloud of smoke. And then, but we kept on pushing because we weren't sure where the fire was. And at that time, there was no wind. So we felt pretty okay. And um, it was hard to tell how far it was away from us. So we're like, well, we're not far. We're probably maybe two miles and we're going to make it our cars and we'll be fine. But as we make this one turn, we see a tree catch on fire. So a tree right in front of you is now on fire. Yes. And how far away was the tree? I would say maybe 100, 150 feet away from us. And it just... So we turn around and we start running uphill. And, you know, everybody's tired pretty much because we got up really early, kind of difficult climbing day, and we're carrying all of this stuff with us. How heavy were your bags at this point? I mean, they were heavy after a whole day of climbing. Probably 40 pounds. (laughs) Probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we start running and then our leader goes, stop, everybody stop. Let's not panic. He's such a great guy. He's, um, He's a really, really great leader. And he kind of calmed us down. He said, let's be rational. Let's go back to the creek because you have to cross. I think it's called Soap Creek. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the creek and reorient ourselves and let's find a different way out. And if you've never been in the area, you can start the climb from Polk Creek, but you can also, there's a couple more trailheads along the way. There's Green Lakes. And I think that's what we opted out for. There is Broken Top Trailhead. And then there's also Park Meadow trailhead so we uh we knew that we had to go south because at that time we already could see the fire from the north from us and we could see the smoke there was actually ash falling down so we knew it was coming close this is where uh, we'll talk about lessons learned but what we did really well we had uh, a regular paper map with the area. If you go on a climb, you want not only the map of your route, but also surrounding areas. And that really saved us because we could see our trailheads and and we could see our ways out. Um, The problem with our map was that it didn't have UTM coordinates. So we couldn't, and we had GPS and we tried to find ourselves on a map. And like at the Soap Creek, we knew exactly where we were. But then as we were walking more south and south, the map didn't show some of the creeks or it had extra creeks on it. And so it was kind of hard. We had to do a lot of navigating. At the same time, I want to point out that we did not have cell service. So we couldn't notify anyone that we're okay. And at the time, apparently, by the time we got down, our friends in town who knew and and our spouses who knew we were climbing and they heard about the fire, they started working with the the sheriff's department because they were uh, worried about us, but we couldn't let them know that we're okay and we couldn't call for help. Can you talk about uh, how um, the sheriff's department would know there's individuals in the forest and climbing at that point? Yes. And that's a really important thing. When you enter the trailhead, usually at the beginning, there's a registration booth. It's so important to fill out the registration because we filled it out with what we had and put as much information as you can. Because we filled out the registration, they knew how many people were in the woods, what we had with us. And our intended agenda, even though we had to change it, at least they knew which area we were in. They were able to, somebody checked 
that box when when the fire started. They actually went to the Pole Creek Trailhead and they um, they fished out all of the registration forms and they knew exactly how many people were in the woods and who they were uh, looking for. They also tried calling our cell phones that we listed and they were giving us directions, hoping that we would pick it up, which we didn't until we actually got to Sisters, the town of Sisters. If we had self-service, we would know exactly the direction they were directing us. It turns out they were telling us to head towards Green Lakes, which is what we were opting for anyways. So you, you mentioned something that I think is really important too. You said on the self-issued permit, you uh, wrote down the equipment that you have with mm-hmm. you. Uh, what sort of equipment should you list? Well, you want to tell them that you have your 10, 10 essentials, which you should have with you. And we'll talk about them, I think, later. You want to let them know how many days worth of food you have. So if you get stuck, they know that you'll be okay. You want to let them know any technical equipment that you have. Like if it's a snow um, climb, you want to let them know if you have, you know, like crampons or ice axes. We didn't need them for this climb, but you want to let them know as much as you can. So when the search and rescues is trying to get to you, they know how many days you can survive and if you're self-efficient or not. So so that they know if you're, if you're able to um, spend the night and um, be able to survive exactly. without issue. Exactly. Yeah. And and they know what to bring with them if, if they come and rescue you. Okay. So the whole team is now heading south towards Green Lakes. And if any of you have been towards the Green Lakes area, there's water. Mm-hmm. And so is your intention you're going to go towards this big body of water in hopes that the fire won't end up there as well? Yeah, so we were discussing different options. We we thought maybe we should go uh, go up higher, but we opted the best way is to get away from the fire as fast as we can. So that was heading south. And we were pretty quick so we were moving away you could see the fire slowly following our footsteps you could see orange spots which is kind of creepy when you you're like night hiking and you see this orange glare following you but i mean we were moving pretty fast Uh, we had to do some navigation at some point we thought we got away pretty far and we did and so we decided to take a nap because i mean by that time We've been climbing all day, trying to get away from fire. So I think it was like 2 or 3 a.m. when we were like, okay, let's let's take a nap. You're all running on adrenaline at this point, yes. I'm sure. Yes. I mean, we were, I remember we were walking and singing and like telling jokes and the morale, we tried to keep the morale pretty high and we're pretty good at it. And we're like sugar loading and trying to stay awake. And you had plenty of food. Did you stop for a dinner break at all or did Um, you just have trail snacks? So we had trail snacks because we didn't know how fast the fire was going. So until like probably I think it was 2 or 3 a.m. when we decided, okay, we're far away. Let's take a really like half an hour nap and and like recharge recharge our batteries. Um, Did you set up tents at all, or was we, it just pulling out sleeping bags and laying on the ground? We we laid on the ground. We didn't want to uh, spread out too much because in case of a fire, you know, you kind of want to be moving fast. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember how long we slept. Maybe half an hour, maybe one hour. But at some point, one of our members woke us up saying, hey, I, I see orange sky again. So we knew it was coming close. So um, it is possible for seven people team to get together up and running in 10 minutes. 
<laughs> from deep sleep. <laughs> from deep sleep. Yes. I mean, if you've only been if you've been climbing all day yeah. and you haven't had much sleep to begin with and you get a 30 minute power nap. Yeah. So like 10 minutes we're walking again and we got super lucky because because we filled out our registration at the trailhead, sheriff department knew that we were somewhere out there and our spouses were calling them as well, all worried. They sent out search and rescue team. I believe they came from Park Meadow, and I think they were sleeping off the trail, but at least they left their tools. So we came upon the tools and we knew that somebody was out there and we um, we we walked them up. But before we did that, I forgot to mention that we, as we were hiking, we came across an empty campsite and it turns out it was, I believe it was three women who were backpacking and they saw that the fire and they just left everything up and went they escaped. Yes, and we were debating whether we should uh, take the um, things with us, but then we decided that we will call out for them, and uh, we didn't hear anyone. So then we searched for an ID or some kind of a identification. We didn't find anything, so we decided to leave things as they were, just in case if they were coming back, we didn't want to leave them without their basic survival belongings uh, belongings correct so that we just kept them going so you ran into these tools on the trail yeah and then from there you found individuals from the search and rescue group mm -hmm. uh sleeping in the in the bushes <laughs> yeah they were they were kind of sleeping <laughs> off the trail and so we walked them up and um they told us what was happening and that they were happy to see us because they were actually looking for us. Our spouses were relentless. <laughs> they kept calling the sheriff's department um, for any news. They had radios, so they contacted the base, search and rescue base, and let them know that they found us. It was so nice because they offered that we could actually take a nap and they'll be watching for fire, which, of course, we um, we were so happy to do. What time was this at this point? I think it was around 4, 4 so or 5 So you've now been going for a full 24 hours mm -hmm. since you started your North Sister climb. Yes, yes, with little sleep, like maybe an hour of sleep. So we were so happy to see them. And they told us at the time, we asked them about our car and they said, we know that... I believe two or three cars were completely charred, but they couldn't tell us if it was our car or not. They were like, oh, great. <laughs> so this was back at the Pole Creek Trailhead where mm -hmm. your cars were parked. So you at this point didn't know if you had cars or not to go back to. Yes. Yeah. Apparently the fire started at the trailhead right by the bathrooms. And do we know what caused the fire to start? Um, I'm not certain 100%. I know there was an investigation and actually sheriff department interviewed interviewed each one of us and, you know, asking questions like, were anybody smoking? Or like, no, we're climbers. We don't smoke. But What are some other ways that fires can start um, on their own without a human uh, yeah. intervention? Thunders, lightning storms. Um, even without without uh, rain, mm -hmm. um, that's a pretty common cause in the Northwest area. Uh, somebody smoking, you know, cigarette, butt. cigarette butts, mm -hmm. people having fires at the campsite. They don't realize that sparks can fly, even if they think it's, you know, it's a fire pit and it's designated for fire. Um, it doesn't take much. As I said before, fires can uh, jump five miles. So even one spark can start the fire and you might not even notice it right away. And even if 
if you think the fire might be out, the fire can can burn for a long time under dirt as well. Yeah. Uh, so even if you think you've put a fire out in a fire pit, uh, it's still it still could be burning Smoldering. for a long yeah. time. And even in in trees, they can burn for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, I I know I've read some articles where uh, they've cut down trees in a fire zone or where there had been a wildfire and they were still burning from the inside out. Yeah, I mean there were fires in this area that would. Uh, burn for a whole season or like even survive the winters it's kind of insane yeah what fire can do to yep. a forest yeah that's why we have to be diligent you are taking a power nap and you've been now able to get some sleep after a 24 hour period where you're running away from the fire and so where do you end up at the end of this yeah the plan was to take a nap and then we had a date with um, search and rescue teams at the Park Meadow Trailhead, which I believe was about five miles from where we were uh, napping. So we woke up, I think, I can't remember, it was six or I mean, we didn't sleep long, but we woke up maybe after one or two hours of sleep and um, we got going again. And um, search and rescue guys were so nice to us because they said here's where you need to go and in case if the fire is moving too fast because they weren't able to tell um, at the time how fast it was moving either if it's moving too fast our car is parked here and we left the key in that spot by the car if you need to take it don't worry about us just get in the car and go so they were literally risking their lives telling us if the worst case scenario just get in the car and go um where were the search and rescue volunteers going? I think they had the same plan to leave towards Park Meadow, but I'm not sure if they were looking for other people, if they were looking for uh, those other three women. I'm not sure if the woman uh, got out before us. So I'm not sure what the plan was. But basically, if the fire was moving fast, they were literally trying to save us and sacrifice their lives. Yeah, and then so we got to the Park Meadow trailhead and sure enough the car was there but at the same time at 9 a.m sharp a search and rescue truck showed up and um, they only had spot for i believe three or four people so we had to we had to split into two groups and uh, they shuttled us to um to the the town of sisters where the search and rescue base was so then we had to wait a long time to find out if our car was okay because of course they wouldn't let us back into this area i believe it was either um, sheriff deputies or firefighters they went back to the trailhead to retrieve the cars that survived and uh, we didn't know until last minute like literally until they brought the car that our car was okay so everyone's car within your group was okay? Yeah, we um, we carpooled, so I think it was two cars. There was a whole bunch of fire retardant on it, but, you know, it was untouched otherwise. Wow. It's pretty crazy when you think about how a fire can start at the trailhead and where everyone's cars parked and only a few of the cars were really burned. Right. Yeah. And, and even the fact that, that they were able to go and retrieve our cars was amazing because we thought it was a lost cause. Like we didn't. I know. I keep saying, wow, but it's kind of an <laughs> impressive situation where you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you have cars afterwards. It was intense. <laughs> yeah, that is intense, especially being up all night long trying yeah. to run away from this fire. Yeah. Adrenaline is a great thing, though. Like we we literally ran on it for like twenty four hours, and it kept us awake. 
Until you crashed. Until we crashed. <laughs> that was a crazy story that you experienced. It's relative. Yeah. A technical climb of North Sister, but it should be relatively straightforward. Uh, it turned into something way more exciting. Yeah, I... Um... At the, at the beginning, I would get upset because for me to climb North Sister was such a big achievement. And whenever I talk to anyone, they would be like, oh, you climbed North Sister. So how was the fire? I'm like, well, I just climbed to the summit of North Sister. And all you care about is the fire. So I mean, climbing North Sister is impressive. <laughs> but living through this fire that's chasing you through the woods is also a very impressive. Feat. Yeah. Talk about this story right now and the importance of being prepared because it's fire season and there's a lot of fires going on right now in our forests here in Oregon. Uh, and so we want to make sure that when each and every one of you go out on your own adventures in the woods and mountains that we love, that you're just as prepared and you're ready to be able to change your route or change your adventure mid-stride and be safe while doing it. So from your whole trip and experience, Anya, did you take away any lessons learned or anything that you'd like to share that you wish you would have had with you or done differently? So after the trip, uh, Amazing Leader actually put together lessons learned. And I hope he doesn't mind if I share them because I think they were really good lessons. And I, I think our team was very well prepared and, and we did really good considering. So I'll I'll tell you what they are. There were a um, couple things. For example, we had GPS. Um, we also um, had a small scale map. And small scale means it shows a big chunk of the area, a large area. So it's not just the climbing route yeah. of North Sister, for example. Yeah, we had the Three Sisters Wilderness map, I think it's called. And it shows three sisters and the whole area and all of the trailheads surrounding us. So that helped us decide which way to escape. That makes sense. So you had many exit points that you could yes. choose from depending on where the wind was going and in this case where the fire was headed. Yes. In 2012, I think we only had one GPS for the whole group um, because back then it wasn't as popular as it is now. Now everybody has a Gaia or other app on their phone. Um, but we also, everybody had compass because it's part of our 10 essentials. Uh, we had compass, we had maps, and we had the GPS. So between those three, we were able to find our way, even though our map didn't have UTM coordinates, which is another thing that is lesson learned. We didn't think of it beforehand, but in a retrospect, what I, what I would do is before going to this area, I would draw UTM coordinates on the map. Um, they don't have to be perfect, but having some kind of a uh, grid on your map uh, would be super helpful. Um, I mean, we spent a long time um, navigating because of the map um, issues. I mean, it wasn't a great map. So You mentioned 10 essentials. Um, and you already talked about GPS, compass, map, and a cell phone, but a couple other things that might be really useful if you have a cell phone and you're relying on them for GPS is to have a spare battery pack mm -hmm. so that you can charge your phone. Because if yeah. you're gone um, for an additional 24 hours yeah. more than planned, your batteries and your phone could die. Yeah, and, and I keep my phone in the airplane mode. Mm -hmm. That's a great thing. Even to with keep Gaia, with Gaia um, app, I download the map beforehand when I'm when I'm in self service, so it's stored on my phone. And I um, when I when I download the map, I do different 
scales too so i have mm-hmm. like small scale scale and large scale maps so i have multiple maps so it's as accurate as i can get it when i'm off the grid next thing that i would say is if you see fire and we talked about it call 911 and if you have a compass which you should have give them a compass bearing to the fire from your current location. If you have a GPS pinpoint, uh, that will be super helpful. And sometimes um, when you call 911, the person on the other hand might not understand what you're giving them, but you can ask them, hey, give this informa- information to the sheriff's department. Mm-hmm. They know exactly what to do with this. Another lesson learned, um, a cell phone if you are heading in, and I know it's hard because people are taking pictures with their cell phones, so not don't necessarily turn it off, which is probably like the best option to have a phone that's turned off. But if you don't want to turn it off for pictures, put it in an airplane mode. And then make sure that other people do the same, you know, because it, it drains your battery if, if you're going off the grid and it's trying to search for cell uh, service. It, it really drains your battery. Also, if you don't get the phone reception, don't give up. Keep trying in an emergency situation. Um, try to get higher on the, on the ridge. If you can, try to find an open spot and keep trying. If you can get the call out, try texting because texting... Um, works better in a poor reception so um, a good thing to do is if you don't know your gps coordinates you can take a picture and send it and the picture will have all of the information attached to it and if the person who gets the picture gives it to a search and rescue they'll be able to find out where you are just from the picture next one is people are hesitant to call 911 in emergency situation they're, they're really wait till like last minute or they they just don't want to call 911 because they're not sure if it's a good time to call in our case if we had cell reception I would definitely call 911 and let them know that our party is okay and what our plan is and where we're heading. Because as we were running away from the fire, they kept trying to get a hold of us. Uh, They, I mean, sheriff's department and our loved ones are trying to get a hold of us. So I think at that time, calling 911 just to let them know um, that you are okay and what your plans are. And your your coordinates, I think, would be a smart idea if we had reception. I think this also goes back to uh, earlier when we talked about calling 911 from the summit when you first saw the smoke mm-hmm. off in the distance. And yeah. so just noticing that there's fire out in the distance and you can see where that was coming from uh, very vaguely, but still give that information to the police department or the sheriff's department would be very helpful Um, Plus, they know where you're at at that point, too, and they can direct you better as to where to go from there if there really was an issue back at your camp, for example, or at your cars. And the last thing I want to talk about was make sure that you have 10 essentials on every hike, even if you go on a short hike. If we did not have extra things like extra food, water, shelter, clothing, stove, like on the, all the navigation tools, um, we would not do that well. We were able to, we actually had a little food party when when we finally reached our search and rescue. We were sharing food. And so we had extra food and, and uh, water and all of that. So it really, really was important 
to have all of the 10 essentials with you. So Amy, I, I'm going to ask you a question now. Great. <laughs> Put me in the hot seat. Yeah. So I just talked about 10 essentials. Can you remind our listeners what they are? Uh, you mentioned a few of them already, but having a map and compass and then your GPS as well, uh, making sure that if you're using your phone or your cell phone as a GPS, that you have a way to charge that cell phone too. Uh, so like an external battery pack that you can uh, plug your phone into at some point, because uh, if your phone isn't in airplane mode for some reason, it could easily die. But even even if your phone is in airplane mode, it does drain the battery when using a GPS. And so having that extra battery pack is important. Also having extra food and plenty of, of food and a stove to be able to heat up water to have tea to keep hydrated uh, is also very important. Uh, you all were camping for a few days as well. And so you had shelter. Um, if you wanted to take the time to put up tents, but in this case, you probably were just using layers of clothing to stay warm, which is another 10 essential is, is warm clothes, uh, to keep you dry. If there's a rain, uh, to keep you warm when it's sunny out, basically you just need to be able to keep the elements off of you. Um, another 10 essential that we have, or should be bringing with you is, um, a headlamp, which allowed Anya and her team to get out, uh, through the middle of the night without their headlamps. They wouldn't know where they were going or be able to see the path in front of them. But that also leads to bringing extra spare batteries for your headlamp too. Um, and making sure you do have fresh batteries to be able to switch those out when needed. Other 10 essentials include a first aid kit. Thank Thankfully, Anya and her team didn't need any first aid treatment, uh, but say someone tripped and fell while hiking out through the night, having that first aid kit would have been really important. You also might need fire starter and matches. These things are always important to have with you. Granted, they wouldn't be used in this situation. You wouldn't be lighting a fire when you're in the middle of a fire, but those are important things to have. Um, and waterproof matches at that, not just regular matches. A few other things that you could bring with you um, that probably are in your first aid kit would be a mask these days. That's also now an important thing yeah. to have with you or a buff um, as well as hand sanitizer. And that should just be a part of the first aid kit piece as well. I think the only other part of the 10 essentials that I haven't covered yet is a repair kit for your tent. Could be just as simple as some duct tape, maybe a, a pocket knife um, and something to... Um, fix anything that breaks while in the field. I know I personally like to carry zip ties with me. Mm -hmm. Those have been really helpful in a variety of instances, but it's always in my repair kit. Yeah, duct tape is the one that does it for me. <laughs> yep. uh, let's talk about a few resources uh, that we use on the internet um, that could be really useful before you head out on an adventure in the woods. Right. So the number one that I go to is InciWeb. It's inciweb.nwcg.gov. It shows you all of the fires uh, on the map and you can zoom in and it gives you a really good information about each fire, like the percentage it's been, it's been contained, how many acres. They update it quite often. It gives you all the basic information, uh, the cause, when it started, um, the location, you even get the coordinates, latitude and longitude, and how many how many acres, uh, how many people are fighting it, and and the percentage that it's contained. 
So that's, that's, great. that's the first website I'll go to. There's Oregon Department of Environmental Quality, and it has interactive air quality map. So it, it shows you uh, how bad or how smoky it can get. It's worth checking out the air quality. Another uh, site that I really enjoy is the wildfire.oregon.gov site. Mm. It uh, shows the current fire statistics for the state of Oregon. Uh, it also has a link to the Oregon's air quality um, evacuation details for uh, the populations and and what's going on in terms of the fires in Oregon. So if you're hiking or climbing in Oregon, that's a really good site to check out too. Yeah, there's um, also another website called Northwest Interagency Coordination Center. And it also has a map of all of the fires. You can zoom in and out. You click on the fire and it gives you like basic information as well. It's very similar to the INSEE web that I told you about. And it shows you if, if the fire is active or contained. Uh, so you get some information as well. Just to wrap things up here, uh, do you know how big that fire ended up being at Pole Creek? Yeah, it, it was about 40 square miles, so which was 26,000 acres. I believe they evacuated 30 hikers during that fire, and it cost them $18 million to fight it. $18 million. Yeah. That's a lot of resources. Yeah. Well, thank you, Anya, for sharing your story with us. Thank you for interviewing me. This was very nerve-wracking to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun to be in the, the other end of things for once. <laughs> I don't know if I like to be in the hot seat, but... <laughs> you did great, Anya. It was <laughs> really great to... help somebody else, I'm willing to do it. I'm happy to do it. It was great to, to hear your story and, and hear how you were able to get out of that fire. That's an impressive adventure that you had a few years ago. Yes, adventure is a good word for it. <laughs> <laughs> and congrats again on our sister. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. I hope you come back. I hope to. Yeah. And we can do more fun. Definitely. Yeah. There's way more things we can talk about. Yeah. Thank you everyone for tuning in today. If you'd like to support Portland Mountain Rescue, go to our website at pmru.org and hit that donate button. We really appreciate all of your donations. We wouldn't exist without you. And you can also find us on Instagram under Portland Mountain Rescue, or you can find us on Facebook also under Portland Mountain Rescue. And you can follow us along for more tips and current conditions. And a huge shout out to Mari Feher, who makes sure that I sound great. She does all of the editing. So thank you, Mari, for all your hard work. Until next time. 